Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, a double dose of the Sal Sports and Stuff pod for you today, February 10th. Not that I'm doing two podcasts. I could actually do two sometime over the next few days. I might do that just to kind of get everybody up to speed before I go on vacation. That's happening next week. I'll talk about it in just a second. But the reason why I say double dose today, I'm going to do two positions today, defensive end and defensive tackle. I wrote about both of them, wrote about defensive tackle yesterday, defensive end today. We've been going through the state of the bills on an offense, everything I did on offense from last week, quarterback, running back, tight end, wide receiver, offensive line, did podcasts on all of those as well. The articles are up at WGR550.com. We've done the defense. We started with defensive tackle and did defensive end today, wrote the articles. Now here's the podcast. So going to talk about both of them today. I want to get everything done before the end of the week. I still have linebackers to do secondary corners. Safeties got to decide if I want to do separately corners and safeties or altogether. That basically depends on how many guys I got to kind of talk about. I don't like writing novels for everyone to have to, you know, click and then spend all day reading. So I try to make it as uh, efficient as possible for everyone, but I might have to do that just to make sure I speed up the process and get everything done. I do have a couple days in the weekend. I could do it as well because I also want to do special teams. You know, it's going to be short and quick and sweet basically on special teams, but still have to talk about it in the overall grand scheme of things. And yes, I am going on vacation. My first vacation really like truly going away since the pandemic started. Uh, we were on a cruise right before the pandemic started last year, just about a year ago, a little uh, over a year ago after the football season ended last year and then came back. And that's when everything got shut down. Uh, I have not really gone anywhere. We went on a couple of road trips with the car, a couple of day trips, including, you know, early on when the pandemic first started, went to the pro football hall of fame in Canton. That was a nice, you know, day trip, spent the day in Pittsburgh walking around and things like that, but never really went anywhere. And then of course, this past football season, as part of the Bills radio broadcast crew, I did not travel. Uh, we did not. Me, Murph, Tasker, like we didn't travel to any of the games because of the you know rules with the NFL and the Bills and you know what would have had to have gone into all of that with testing and traveling and who was allowed, who wasn't, all the different you know restrictions on number of people. So I have not been anywhere, and that is very rare for me. <laughs> 
right now to not go anywhere outside of Buffalo, basically, for a year. But that's happening Monday. Flying down to Florida with the family. My parents live in Florida again. They were there for a while when I was down there. Then they moved to Georgia. Didn't really love it that much. They were six years in Georgia. They just moved back to Florida. And I'm very thankful for that because they bought a house on a golf course. So I'm going to be able to take my old clubs down there. I just got new clubs. I'll take the old clubs down. I'll leave them there. Then I'll have the new clubs here, the old clubs there. I can go back and forth, play some golf. I'm really looking forward to this. Think I'm thanking my parents very much for buying a house in the golf course just so I can have two places to play golf. They really didn't do it for that reason, but it's really nice. And they're not golfers, by the way. They're just, it was just a, a house they liked uh, that they happened to find and buy. So that's where they are. So we're going to be doing that. And you know, my mom, she has not seen Max physically in over a year, like a year and a half. He's seven. That's tough for me. It's tough for me to think about for my, my, my mom, who's, you know, his grandma, my stepdad, his, his grandpa, and, you know, for them not to see him, it's been tough on me. Now we, you know, we do uh, Skype, uh, whatever, you know, video, FaceTime, all that kind of stuff. So she's seen him. It just hasn't been, you know, physically. So I'm really looking forward to that. In the meantime, trying to get everything done for you guys on these State of the Bills podcasts. And I appreciate you downloading, subscribing, listening, however you're doing that. Getting a lot of great feedback. Thank you so much. And I can tell a lot of you are listening because I'm getting questions about some of the things that I bring up or you kind of responding to some of the things I bring up. So I want to bring up a few more things today before we move on to the state of the bills. And I will get to defensive tackles and defensive ends as we go on here. First, I, I want to bring up one thing about the Super Bowl that I had not brought up yet uh, in the last podcast because I did talk about a few things with the Super Bowl. And that is the Buccaneer fans, finger quotes, who are actually Patriots fans. And I think you know where I'm going with this, right? Like the other day, so I'm, and I knew this was going to happen. We all saw it happening all year, which is Patriots fans who see Brady go to Tampa and suddenly, oh, they, you know, they're, they're rooting for Brady, which is fine. I have no problem with that. But as soon as it became clear that the Patriots were not going to have a very good season, it seemed like a lot of these people suddenly became Buccaneers fans. There's a difference between rooting for Tom Brady and being a Buccaneers fan. And to be quite honest with you, it, it's, it's frankly, it's annoying. And it's ridiculous and it's cheap that they want to latch on to another winning team and basically act like they won again just because Tom Brady went down there and won only because they can't handle their team not being so good. That's really what it is, right? It's comfort. It's basically trying to find a spot where they can say, oh, yeah, well, you know, we didn't have to be that. My second favorite team won. Your second favorite team became your second favorite team this past offseason. And by the way, I don't even believe in second favorite teams. You have one team. You root for them. You put your heart into them. Everybody else, they're not your second favorite team. The only other team you should root for is a team that by winning helps your favorite team, if that makes sense. But that's another topic altogether. So I'm talking on the phone with a buddy of mine down in Florida. He lives in the Tampa area. But he's a Dolphins fan, which is kind of funny. You know, we go back and forth. And he says to me, he goes, Sal, so many of these Buccaneers fans down here. I'm sorry. So he said so many of these Patriots fans down here, they're acting like they just won another Super Bowl. Like they won. It's their Super Bowl. And the Buccaneers fans are like, uh, no, 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 no. That's not yours. It's ours. Despite having Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski. And they're right. It is not your Super Bowl if you're a New England Patriots fan. So I, I basically told this story online on Twitter, at Sal Sports, 
I have a bunch of Patriots fans coming at me like, oh, come on, I can't be happy for Tom Brady. Of course you can be happy. Let me try to give a little nuance to you. Hopefully, maybe if you're a Patriots fan or you're probably not listening to this if you are, but maybe you know a Patriots fan, you could put it to them this way. A couple things here. There is a difference between being happy for Tom Brady and actually acting like your team won a Super Bowl. For example, when the Sabres traded away Dominic Hasek, who meant so much to their organization, took him to a Stanley Cup final, but never won it. When he went to Detroit, of course, I, I wanted Dominic Hasek to win for him, for what he put in. Like, he meant so much to the organization. And to me, you know, in my, in, I was not a, like a kid, but growing up, you know, watching in my 20s. When he won a cup in Detroit, I was super happy for him. I was not like hoisting a Stanley, fake Stanley Cup in my house or holding a parade or joining in on parades, acting like my team just won. It was, oh, that's cool for Dominic. I'm super happy for him. All right, who do the Sabres play next year? I mean, that's basically the way I looked at it. All right? So there is a difference between the two. Because let me tell you this. This is the other thing I tweeted, and it's kind of gotten a little bit of play, and it's kind of gone viral. But it's true. It's my analogy. And here it is. Just because you were married for 20 years doesn't mean you get to claim your ex-spouse's baby with his new lover as your baby. And in this case especially, the DNA test is public knowledge. We all know that Brady is not a patriot. He's a buccaneer. And the kid doesn't even look like you, so you can't go around saying like, oh yeah, look at, no, no. It's Tom Brady in a buccaneer's uniform. It's Rob Gronkowski in a buccaneer's uniform. It is not a Patriots Super Bowl. Stop it. You don't get to have it. It's not yours. You can be happy for him all you want. I totally appreciate that. I totally get it. It is not another New England Super Bowl. It's New England fans wanting to claim and feel good about themselves. That's what it is, really. Again, going back to it's them trying to find solace in their own poor season and making themselves feel really good because they need a hug. So, okay, we'll just say that Oh, we, we, this is our Super Bowl, Tampa. Yeah, bull. It's not, it's, it doesn't work like that. So I wanted to get that off my chest before we started. A couple other things real quickly here, and um, these are not happy things to talk about, but I want to at least, you know, put something positive into, you know, a couple of deaths that touched a lot of you out there, maybe, um, whether you knew these people or knew of them. And one of them, I'm sure you did. That's Marty Schottenheimer. Uh, Marty Schottenheimer passed away at the age of 77. He had been dealing with Alzheimer's disease. Uh, Marty Schottenheimer was a terrific NFL coach. He had some really good teams in Cleveland, Kansas City, San Diego. Guy, what do you go, 14-2 and get fired, you know, because of a rift between him and the GM. Like, But he never won in the playoffs. And, and that was always kind of his defining legacy, unfortunately, that he was a really good regular season coach, really good teams, never won in the playoffs. And, you know, that's a shame. Not everybody wins, but he should be recognized as one of the best coaches of all time. I don't think you have to win a championship to always be considered one of the best. Sure, it gets you in that conversation much easier, and it allows people to kind of define your career and your legacy a lot different, whether you're a player or a coach. But man, Marty Schottenheimer was one hell of a football coach. But what I I don't think people realize, maybe, who are listening to this especially, he played for the Buffalo Bills for four years. In fact, his rookie year... In 1965, he was on the Bills AFL championship team, which is really cool. So Marty Schottenheimer has a tie to Buffalo through that. I also don't think people realize, you know, that he was a pretty good player, 
had an okay NFL career for several years, which kind of made me think about other guys like that, coaches, who even I didn't realize were really good players back in the day. Dick Duran was an excellent football player. Dick Duran was a defensive back for a long time who had 25 interceptions in his NFL career. That's excellent. But you know what's even way, way more excellent? We remember Dick LeBeau as an incredible defensive coordinator. He was even head coach of the Bengals for a little while. You know, Dick LeBeau, Pittsburgh Steelers defensive coordinator. Uh, he Just an incredible, incredible defensive mind. Dick LeBeau was a great pro football player. He is still top 10 all-time in interceptions with 62. That's incredible. So Dick LeBeau, Dick Geron, Marty Schottenheimer to a lesser degree. They were all defensive backs. They were all good players. I mean, Dick LeBeau's in the Hall of Fame for both coaching and playing, basically. I think it's kind of like, yeah, I don't even know which one he's in for. I think it might just be for playing, but either way, I mean... These guys were good players, and I don't think we realize that sometimes. I was also going back and watching some of Marty's you know, career, thinking about what I was doing was I was thinking about his career and some of those teams he had back in the 80s with the Cleveland Browns and going to the two straight AFC championship games you know, against the Denver Broncos. And was it three straight? Did they play in 89 also? I have to remember that. But I know 86 and 87, the drive in 86, and then the fumble in 87, which are both obviously really um, you know, synonymous with Cleveland sports failures in sports lore. And of course, with John Elway with the drive, but go back. If you get a chance, go back and watch the drive on YouTube. You can find the whole drive. Start with like with the five and a half minutes left when the Broncos get the ball and they're down and they get the kickoff. And that's why they have to start at their own two, because it's a mishandled kickoff. Basically, uh, based, somebody should have Got it. They didn't. They let it sit there, fell on it at the two-yard line, and Elway goes down the field 98 yards. But what is crazy is, I am not kidding you, and I said this to Jeremy in our morning show on WGR, and Jeremy agreed. He watched it too and said, absolutely. John Elway looks just like Josh Allen on that drive. Like, he just looks like him. The way he plays, the way he scrambles, the way he runs, the way he throws, his body, his stature, it's amazing. I cannot believe John Elway didn't see himself in Josh Allen when he looked in the mirror a couple of drafts ago, 2018, and say, I'm taking Josh Allen. He was right there in his own backyard. I think, you know, Josh kind of maybe wanted to go to Denver. Maybe some stories came out that he thought he might, that would have been a good fit, whatever. So I, I'm I'm watching this going, man, that's Josh Allen. And it's John Elway. It's the drive. It's 1986. So yeah, go back and watch that. Uh, I, I thought it was really cool. And then finally, one more thing. We'll get to the defensive ends and defensive tackles here. A Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame class was announced. So you can go and check that out. You know, Charles Woodson, Peyton Manning, very deserving players, John Lynch. But next year, Devin Hester is up, uh, eligible for the Hall of Fame. And it'll be basically a good debate going on on whether or not Devin Hester deserves to go in. He's one of the greatest, if not the greatest, return man of all time. And I say this. Yes, I agree with that. And fine, put him in. But if we're going to have a discussion about Devin Hester going in because he's the greatest return man ever, or arguably then we need to have a better, a bigger, better discussion with the Hall of Fame committee about Steve Tasker going in. I'm not telling you Tasker was a better, better special teams player than uh, Devin Hester or, or vice versa. All I'm telling you is they both, in their roles, are probably the greatest who ever played those positions. Tasker was not a uh, return man, of course. I think he did like maybe have a couple returns here or there, but he was a great special teams player whereas Hester was a great return man. And I, I tweeted this out, and then a couple people said, well, you know, 
Hester didn't, or Tasker didn't change the game the way Tasker did. Excuse me. Tasker didn't change the game the way Hester did. Like he could change a game. That is not true. If you think that, you need to go back and watch Steve Tasker. Tell me he didn't change the game in the Bills wild card in 88 when he forced a fumble at the end of the game to rec- uh, against uh, the Oilers. Curtis Duncan, his old college roommate, by the way, at Northwestern. He won the game because of that. Like the Bills, maybe they stop him anyway, but that changed the game. You're going to tell me he didn't change the game on a blocked punt against the uh, Denver Broncos or Raiders, whichever one. I think he might have blocked them both in both games, but I think it was the Broncos on a night game, a big night game in 1990. Like he did change games in his own way. Of course he changed games. Um, I think he was the only guy people had the game plan for, you know, back then on special teams, where he was, where he's coming from and those kinds of things. So, you know, I just think that if we're going to put Devin Hester in because he's the greatest at what he ever did on special teams, then we need to have a serious conversation about the same thing going on with Steve Tasker. And that's been a debate for a long time. And Tasker was a semifinalist again this year. What, six, seven, eight times he's been a semifinalist, whatever it is. Um, I don't think he's going to get in, at least not in the traditional way. He will probably get in eventually by the um, senior committee. And that's fine. And I've talked with Steve about this and he said, hey, if that's the way I get recognized, that's great. That's your peers. So uh, let's just see, you know, where it goes with Hester. I don't think he'll get in next year either, but it is an interesting conversation and debate. All right, Sal Sports and Stuff podcast, State of the Bills. That's what we I've been talking about here uh, for the last week or so. I did defensive end. I did defensive tackle. And now it's time to uh, talk about those two positions because the Bills have interesting decisions to be made, even though... Um, You know, they actually don't have many free agents. In fact, what's crazy is the Bills have zero pending free agents at defensive tackle. The Bills have one pending free agent at defensive end, and that is Trent Murphy. Let's start with defensive end. It's actually the one I wrote about most recently today. So let's start with defensive end because really there's only one thing I think that's absolutely certain at this point, at least, right, which is it's pretty clear the team is going to move on from Trent Murphy. He is an unrestricted free agent. Um, He was even inactive for six different games this year. Uh, There's no way they're going to re-sign him, right? I think Trent Murphy, we all know that ship has sailed, so he's not going to be on the team next next year. So that leaves, under contract, Jerry Hughes, Mario Addison, A.J. Epinesa, Daryl Johnson, Brian Cox Jr., and Mike Love. Now, Addison is probably the biggest question mark headed into the offseason because... Whether or not you know the key team wants to keep him on the roster, I, I think there's a debate here either way, the way you want to look at it, for for or against, on why they would or why they wouldn't. He did play the second highest amount of snaps at defensive end behind Jerry Hughes, 56.6. And I know a lot of people don't think he made the kind of impact that they expected him this year, but he actually tied for the team lead in sacks with five, and he led the Bills in tackles for loss with seven on the season. Now, that said, the five sacks and only eight quarterback hurries he had, by the way, were the lowest totals of his career over the last seven seasons. He's been playing a while. Uh, I think he came in 10 years ago, nine years ago, but over the last seven years, sacks, quarterback hurries, lowest totals he's had. And he's going to be 34 years old when next season begins. So you have to wonder, you know, if those totals are ever going to go up again or if he's kind of plateaued or even, you know, if he's on a decline. His financial numbers, he carries with him a $10.1 million cap hit for next year. If the Bills release him prior to June 1, they can save close to $6.2 million. 
They'd also take on a $4 million cap hit. That is something I don't think general manager Brandon Bean wants to do. That's a little more money than he typically would like to do. Would you rather have Mario Addison on your team for a $10 million cap hit or off your team and still count $4 million? You may say, I'd rather have him off the team counting four, but that's not, that's not really great business, I think, as far as the way Brandon Bean looks at things. Now, however, if they make him a June 1 cut, you can release a guy and designate him a June 1 cut, by the way. You don't have to wait till June 1. Then they would save over $8.2 million in next year's cap and count $2 million in dead money this year and next year. That sounds a lot more enticing. But let's remember, that's tricky. Because if you do that, you are unable to even have, count, or use that savings until June 1st. And by then, March 17th starts free agency. You're talking a month and a half where you don't even have that money to use if you make him a June 1st cut. So I don't think it's that easy here. I think the way this is working out, it might be looking more and more like Addison is back on the roster. Maybe he's restructures or something, you know, but we'll see. I think this is one that's worth monitoring. Now, Jerry Hughes, he's going to be 33 years old. Mario Addison's actually a year older than him. He is also entering the final year of his contract. He's scheduled to count close to $9.5 million against the salary cap next season. And when you say all of that, 33, final year, 9.5, basically, usually you're going to say, okay, that guy is done, right? They're going to cut him. But I don't think so with Jerry Hughes. First of all, he's been one of the most consistent and reliable parts of the Bills defense since he came to Buffalo in 2013 and continued to play at a really high level this past year. In fact, I would say... He was the Bills' best defensive lineman overall in 2020. And I don't care if you're talking defensive end or defensive tackle. He led all of them with 58.7% of the snaps. He was on the field more than anybody on the entire defensive line all year. He was the only player on defense to have over 10 quarterback hurries in the regular season. He had 11. No one else finished with even 10. And he played his best football of the season as the season went on. Four and a half sacks, three tackles for loss, an interception, two forced fumbles, and a fumble recovery return for a touchdown. And all of that happened from week seven on. Now, if that wasn't enough, Jerry Hughes actually continued to play like that through the three playoff games. Now, I know that Kansas City wasn't a great game for anybody, but through three games, Jerry Hughes led the Bills with three sacks. No one had even more than one in the playoffs. He also led him with three quarterback hurries, and he tied with Addison for three tackles for loss. Jerry Hughes played really well especially from week seven on. And oh, by the way, he's never missed a game due to injury through his eight years in Buffalo. The only game he actually did miss at all was the week 17 finale this season against the Dolphins when he rested. He's played 127 out of 128 games possible in a Bills uniform. Yes, the team could save $7.35 million by releasing him, absorbing 2.1 in a salary cap hit. But I would say this, considering what he's meant to the defense, how well he played, I don't think it's happening. I think Jerry Hughes is back and part of this team next year. I would be surprised if Jerry Hughes signed another one-year extension or something to spread some money out, to be quite honest. That's how much I think they believe in and in, in want Jerry Hughes on this team going forward. Now, all that said, it's not just Hughes. Uh, the Bills do need more production as far as sacks from the defensive ends, and Jerry only gave him four and a half for the second straight season, and he hasn't topped more than seven sacks since 2014. So... I think he's back, but I do think they need more production as far as sacks. But I think overall, Jerry did play really, really well. Now, A.J. Epinesa, came to the Bills weighing 280 pounds when he was taken with the first pick in the second round, their first pick, second round last year. The team wanted him to lose weight to be more effective. He did. 
He got all the way down to 260 pounds. I think if you watched the games, you saw he was much lighter, much skinnier. But Brandon Bean said after the season, that was a bit too much weight that he lost, and he struggled to put it back on. So he was inactive in the team's opening game against the Jets, and then he didn't really play all that much over the next nine games, including one more time being inactive. He really he only had more than 20 snaps, only twice, really through the first half of the season. But after the bye in November, he really started to be more of a you know regular rotation end. He never even had less than 20 snaps through the final nine contests, and I'm including the playoffs there, by the way. He played at least 20 snaps in each of the three playoff games. Now, statistically, Epinesa didn't show up much, but I would say, as I personally watched him, I thought it was clear that he was starting to figure things out. And I think a full offseason with this kid in the Bills weight and, uh, weight training and training program and knowing the playbook and understanding his role and his fit are going to do him a lot of good uh, as he heads into 2021. I think that A.J. Epinesa, it's funny, when I tweeted out the tease of the article, I said, wait, W-A-I-T with A.J. I think we had to wait on him a year and wait, W-E-I-G-H-T because of his weight. All right. I'm not really a comedian, but I thought that was pretty good, right? So... I think AJ Epinesa, again, th- those are the things that, you know, see where his weight is, how they can handle that, get it, you know, where they want it, weight training. Um, you know, the guy, there was a story about him not being able to work out what, the way he normally would during the offseason, all that stuff. It's going to help him a lot going into 2021. Now, Daryl Johnson was a roster bubble player back in training camp. Then he made the team really based on his special teams abilities and his ability to play on special teams and be used as a depth defensive end. But much like A.J. Epinesa, his role actually started off kind of like pretty minuscule on defense and then increased as the season went on. He actually, he over the final six games, uh, he played a lot more, including over 40% in games against the Broncos and that Saturday and then the Monday night against the Patriots. So he was on the field a lot uh, over the last month of the season, basically. Six foot six, 253 pounds, very long. He can make some plays on defense once in a while when he does play. But really, at the end of the day, he's still a backup player. He's not a guy that you're going to count on to, to be a, an answer, if you will, at the defensive end position. His most valuable asset is his ability to play special teams. Um, he's going to be in that same situation next camp as he was this year. He'll be a roster bubble player, but, you know, two years on the team. They drafted him, homegrown, special teams. So he'll go to camp probably with a leg up more than most at that position to be on the roster. And that includes Mike Love and Brian Cox Jr. They both spent this season on the practice squad. Both were elevated for one game during the regular season. Now, I was really impressed with Cox during training camp last year. I thought he had an outside shot to make the roster. Uh, Love, he played well in his one game. That was week 17 against the Dolphins, 35 snaps. And in that game, he had two tackles, including a tackle for a loss. You know, Cox didn't do much in the game. He was elevated against the Patriots, but I did like him. I thought that he had a shot, like I said. And, you know, we'll see. They, they, they're both 27 years old. They both signed future reserve contracts when the season ended. So that means they're both going to be back next year, and they're going to be fighting for spots. You know, and, and, and every roster has a lot of guys like that, and the Bills are going to have two guys at that position like that. It might come down to them fighting with Daryl Johnson again and exactly you know, who can wind up grabbing those spots. So we'll see as they go to training camp next year. Again, only with Trent Murphy probably, you know, gone off this roster, or at least I should say the only one that we know of, he's a free agent, he'll move on, but we don't know what's going to happen, you know, with Mario Addison or even maybe Jerry Hughes for that matter. All right, let's get into defensive tackle. We'll wrap up the podcast with this. Thanks a lot again for joining me. And again, trying to keep these things to about a half hour. And I don't want you to have to, you know, 
be listening for an hour, an hour and 15 minutes and things like that. I know you probably got things to do, places to go. Hopefully you're putting this on in your car, on your workout, you're walking the dog, you're just listening to your, uh, I'll say Alexa, like that, because if I say it really loud, she's going to go off in my house. Uh, also, Echo. Did you guys have an Echo? Because there's a uh, there's one sitting next to me, and there it is, it just turned on. But hopefully, I didn't tell it to do anything, so it's not going to go off. But anyway, <laughs> however you're listening, you can find South Sports and stuff that way. I told you about defensive tackle. Only, I mean, there, there's no, there are no free agents, no pending free agents at defensive tackle for the Bills. They have Ed Oliver, Starlo Tulele, Quentin Jefferson, Harrison Phillips, Vernon Butler, Justin Zimmer, Brandon Bryant. Seven players at defensive tackle, all under contract for 2021. No free agents. Now, Starlo Tulele is one of those players. He opted out of 2020, and by doing that, his 2020 contract told, which meant, what means, that it was pushed into 2021. So that means he's still under contract for three more seasons, and he's going to carry a $7.6 million cap hit in the next year. Now, the Bills could release him to save that money, but if they did that, they would take on an even extra cap hit, and he would actually count $12.3 million for not being on the roster. So they're not going to release him. So even though I said they could do it, it's just not going to happen. You're not releasing a guy and taking on an extra $4 million cap penalty because of that. And let's talk about Star and his role, because there was a lot of debate about his role and how much of an impact he makes on the defense overall, even before all this happened last year with the opt-out. He's never been one to show up in the stat sheet, but as last season went on, it became more clear and clear that the Bills missed someone like him, someone who provides what he does, an interior defensive lineman to tie up blockers and let linebackers run more freely. So when the amendment to the collective bargaining agreement was signed before last season, allowing opt-outs, it did not include an opt-out for 2021. This is important. But it did include language that states that opt-outs are possible this year again, depending on circumstance. So the NFL and the NFLPA will get together and negotiate that. And who knows? If opting out of 2021 is on the table, maybe Starr does that again. We're not sure. I don't know what his you know situation is health-wise, what he feels about you know playing again, the pandemic, all that kind of stuff. As of right now, though, He's coming back, and he's a member of the Buffalo Bills in 2021. So you have to count him on the salary cap because he does count, and you have to plan for him being on the roster, which is not a bad thing, again, considering the Bills seem to miss him. And a guy specifically that seemed to miss him was Ed Oliver. I think it became also clear last year that Oliver is a guy who needs a player like Star Latulale next to him. And what I mean by that is, he basically needs a guy who is going to tie up space eating, you know, double teams, things like that, so that he can be the penetrator he is. At his size and his style, that's what he needs. He was the only defensive tackle this season, believe it or not, at Oliver, to play more than 50% of the team's snaps. So, obviously, the Bills really like him. And, of course, they invested a very high pick in him, number nine overall in 2019. But I would admit and, and agree with a lot of people who say he's been underwhelming for a lot of fans so far through two seasons. He did show flashes of, I think, what the Bills expected out of him through the second half of his rookie season, but when he doesn't have that, have Star Latulale next to him, again, I think basically it, it took away from his ability to make some of the impactful plays that a lot of people hope for. He did finish with three sacks and six tackles for loss. I think that you know, the Bills would like to get more out of him. Now, there's a guy, I will tell you, he does play tough and hard and to the whistle every down. He has two more years remaining on his rookie deal. 
He's a good player at Alvarez. He is. But the Bills need more from him going forward. And the good news is, you know, he is still on his rookie deal for two more years, at least. I mean, who knows after that, if there's a fifth-year option and, you know, the Bills will decide on that after, after next year. Now, Jefferson and Butler are in very similar situations. Quinton Jefferson, Vernon Butler. They both came to the Bills as free agents. Jefferson from the Seahawks, Butler from the Panthers. They were both a big part of the defensive line rotation. Jefferson played close to 48% of the defensive snaps. Uh, Butler played exactly 40. Jefferson had 23 tackles, three sacks. Butler did not have a sack. He had only 18 tackles. But they both also represent huge cap hits and savings if released. So let's run through them. According to the website SpotTrack, uh, Michael Gennetti does a great job with them. By releasing Jefferson, the Bills would save $6.5 million with a cap hit of only $1.5. They would save $6.8 million by releasing Butler, eating only $1 million. So if you combine the two, think about this. If you release both Jefferson and Butler, Bills would clear $13.3 million on the cap next year, and they'd only take on a $2.5 million cap penalty, you know, dead money, basically. So I think it's probably trending more towards that happening than that not happening. And with Latulale scheduled to come back and the lack of production the Bills got overall from the defensive line last season, I think those moves, again, seem like they're probably trending that way. I will give a word of caution, however, okay? Let's remember, new players, no OT last year with these guys, new players, no OTAs, no preseason, the normal training camp acclimation, all that kind of stuff, probably a big reason the front seven struggled for most of the first half of last season and then even beyond. And we could be in for the same type of season. So if you do move on, guess what? You got to replace those guys. Now, I know you still have Star. I know you still have Harrison Phillips. We'll get to him and other guys. But if you're going to replace them, that means more new players starting over again with the same lack of time that they don't get, just like this year. And Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier's defense is built on knowing your roles and understanding your fits. That takes time, and normally that time happens in the offseason. I just want to caution everybody on moving on from these guys financially. Yes, I understand. I, I agree that they should probably do it. It makes sense. But there is a bit of risk in there when it comes to them, you know, the acclimation process and things like that. So, you know, we'll see. I don't think it's a certainty, but I do think it would be trending that way if the Bills want to get other things done that they need to, given the cap constraints that everyone, you know, is facing in the NFL, especially, you know, a team like the Bills, who's right about average, I guess. They're $4 million under the cap before any of these moves are made. That's not a lot, but, you know, they can make some of these moves to create some space. Harrison Phillips, he's going to be entering the final year of his rookie contract next year. He came back after a year-long rehab on a torn ACL that he suffered in week three of 2019. And I would say that's most likely a big reason why he had a slow start to the season and then was even inactive for four games. But I would tell you that I thought he played some of the best football of his career towards the end of last season. He had 19 total tackles over the final seven games, including the playoffs. And in the playoffs, he had nine tackles in three games for him, for that spot. That's good. That's a good indication, too, that... He was close to being fully recovered from the knee injury and hopefully ready to have a more you know, impactful and consistent 2021. He is still under contract the final year of his rookie deal. Zimmer was on the team's practice squad to start the season. Actually, a second stint in Buffalo. People didn't realize maybe he was actually uh, with the Bills in camp in 2016. And then you know his career took him other places and things like that. 
but he signed back to the active roster in, in late October. There was some rumblings. The reason that happened is another team came calling. They wanted to poach him. Bills didn't let that happen. And, and good for the Bills because he proved to be a uh, valuable addition. Less than two weeks after he signed that contract to join the active roster, that's when he punched the ball from Cam Newton's arm. Remember that? Late in the fourth quarter when they were driving to possibly win the game. And then D. Marlowe recovered it. The Bills won 24-21. And then remember... In the playoffs, Taron Johnson, 101-yard interception return. Here's Justin Zimmer, all six foot three, 292 pounds of him running down the field as part of the convoy, and everybody's like, "Oh my God, look at this guy! How fast he is!" You know, for his size. So, uh, 28 years old, finished the season, played 12 games, 21 total tackles and a sack. Uh, the deal he signed in October was for two years, so he's going to be back at camp in 2021, and I think he's an excellent shot uh, to make the roster next year. It might it might come down to him and. Um, him and Phillips with Star coming back. We'll see. Uh, but I, I think, you know, Justin Zimmer was a nice find for this team. Brandon Bryant, the last guy we could talk about, he did suit up for one game last year, had a tackle against the Patriots when he played seven snaps. Otherwise, he was on the practice squad, and then he signed a uh, reserve future contract for 2021. All right, the next one we're going to do, linebackers. And that's a big one because of Matt Milano's situation. Look for it, WGR550.com, the article. And then, of course, I'll talk about it on the podcast. So go tell your Patriots fans they cannot claim Super Bowl 55 as theirs. It is not their baby. It is the Buccaneers and Tom Brady's baby. I'll talk to all you guys again. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or... I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.